Well, we're drawing, coming to the close in our series in Ecclesiastes. I'm going to do some today and some on Thanksgiving. Can I invite you please to open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I'm going to focus on words this morning, the importance of words. And then you have slide five, Jim. So this is the, the thing I've been thinking about all week as I've been looking at this passage. It is said the primary sense organs of the Christian are the ears. To be in a deep relationship with God, we need to learn to hear him. So words create. Words change things. Words do things. In our passage, there is a very specific reference to words. So we're going to look at what those words do with us, through us, and for us. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, 12, beginning at verse 9. Please hear these words from the Lord. I'm going to read them all the way through, and then we're going to go back a different direction. Please hear the word of the Lord. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out, and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads, their collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books there is no end, and of much study, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. People of God, the word of God. Let me take you back now. Let's go through it very carefully. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. It is thought that he had 3,500 proverbs. Included are 1,050 songs. So this teacher was actually gathering information from all kinds of sources, trying to help people with words, words that will affect how they live. Verse 10, the teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The phrase, the right words, can also be translated, words of delight. What he wrote were words of delight. So I want you to think back over these previous 12 weeks. Had you come across different verses or phrases in Ecclesiastes and you thought, ooh, that's really good. That's really, that's really good. I like that. That makes sense to me. The words are meant to cause delight. An initial reading of Ecclesiastes, I think, can make it feel like it's a big downer. But the reality is there is a constant conversation about one who is creating and who offers good gifts. So as you read Ecclesiastes in the future, think about phrases or verses which cause your heart to sink. Didn't, didn't you find last week just so fun to read how he describes the human body? Isn't it just amazing? That's almond blossoms. White hair. Right? Remember, remember all those words that were used? And I read those over and over and just thought, what delightful way to describe getting older. Now, let's remind you where we've been. Slide number two, please. This has been the theme sentence for the last 12 weeks. Facing death honestly. Choosing life intentionally. 
allows for flourishing in love. I'm going to keep trying to be personal as I try to process this with you. So we went to Atlanta last week. I think I told you that. And we came back on Friday. On Friday, Kyle flew to Senegal. Our oldest son uh, has been inv invited to help young men in Senegal uh, with basketball. So he flew to Senegal, and uh, he's going to be there for some time, trying to help develop the hearts, the minds, the spirits, and the bodies of young African men. So I was thinking about this, facing death honestly. Someone sent me an email about Haiti. You know there are still 18 missionaries who are kidnapped, right? Asking a million dollars in ransom for each one. And what ran through my head, what happens if Kyle and then his family is flying out today? What if they got kidnapped? And what if they were held for ransom? And what if horribly they were killed? Do I actually believe that? Do I actually believe I want to face death honestly? I don't know about tomorrow. Face death honestly. Why? So that we can choose to live with intention. Why? Which allows us to flourish. And as we flourish, what do people experience from us? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. But we have to face death honestly. Let's go to some of the words. Jim, may I have slides um, 10, 11? Here are some of the words that we've used. And I'm going to take you through some specific verses. But here, key here, here words. The word hevel, you say the B's or V's in Hebrew, hevel. 33 times the word hevel was used. So the NIV translates it meaningless. And what I've been saying to you is what? It's like vapor. It's like wind. It's like the flame. It is uncontrollable. It is unmanageable. It is ungovernable. We can't control it. What he's been saying to us over and over and over again for 12 weeks is life is unmanageable. Life is uncontrollable. We, we, we just don't know. But decoupling that then with death and life, multiple times he talks about dying and he talks about living. But all that is framed under the next phrase, 34 times under the sun. So I don't know if you caught it, but I've been trying to say over and over again, when we live under the sun, so much of life makes no sense. We're trying to look up what under the sun, how do I, how do I make sense of my 27-year-old son dying? How do, how do I understand that? How do I understand getting a knife to my throat in fourth grade and getting shaken down and beaten up? How do I live, how do I live under the sun? With men? You get, right? All of us have the same experiences. Life is stuff happens. So he's saying to us, remember now, life is uncontrollable, unmanageable, ungovernable under the sun. And what he's trying to do very carefully is he's pointing us forward. I said this now three times in three weeks. I'll say it now the fourth time. All the pains, the losses, and problems of life, listen now, are intended to make you homesick for heaven. And all the good pleasures of life are intended to make us homesick for heaven. See, we, we, just, we can just live like right here. And so he's been saying to us, the, the teacher, enjoy today. 
Enjoy a meal today. Enjoy your people today. Enjoy your job today. Because you're going to die. And in the, in the context, he keeps talking about judgment. Next slide, please, Jim. He talks about judgment multiple times. Let me just say this one more time. If you are a believer, if you have said, Jesus Christ is my Savior and my Lord and my King, he's forgiven me of all my sins. His blood has washed a multitude of sins. I am forgiven. I've been justified by the Lord. Listen to this. Judgment day is the best day of your life. It's going to be a great day. But there's going to be a caveat I'm going to come to in just a minute. It's going to be a great day. But let me flip it. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, judgment day will be the worst day of your life. So let me time out. Everyone, are you having a relationship with Jesus? Have you in your head and your heart said, I yes to the call, the invitation to become a follower of Christ? Lord, cover me with your blood. Forgive my sins. Why? So you do not have to worry about judgment. It's going to be a great day, a glorious day. And he keeps saying to us, judgment is coming. Seven times, judgment's coming, judgment's coming. All right, all to set you up. Go back, chapter 12, take you through four verses. Let's look at verse 10. The teacher searched for just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. Can I have slide number six? The word upright and true is delight. Now, they have, I know, many of us are not readers and don't like to read, and so I don't want to in any way to be diminishing. But somehow we have to hear or receive the words of God. Let me give you an example. I had an incredible experience uh, two weeks ago, I think it was. I was in Michigan for some Eugene Peterson uh, event. And at the beginning of the service, the first 40 minutes, there were, there were incredible musicians. There were f uh, seven musicians who wrote original music and the music was written about the state of Michigan and included searching for iron ore and the woods and the lakes. And they, they had this original music. And, and Lane told me, because I don't know, she said the musicians were incredible. So there was this, we were in this big area and, and, and everyone was just in awe of these incredible musicians. And I thought they were, yeah, they were okay. No, I mean, I don't, I don't I'm a ding. I, I just, it, it didn't, didn't resonate. And then, and then, three young people, an African-American young man, African-American young woman, and an Anglo young man, I think they're all in their early 20s, have been taking Eugene Peterson's translation of the scriptures from the message, and they've been writing original music from the scriptures. So there are hundreds of people in this room, and it was good. I think it was good. And these three young people sang, and you could have heard a pin drop because they were singing delightful words. They were singing words of delight. They were speaking about a God who makes relationships right from the Psalms. And the whole room just changed. 
There were multiple ages, races, and backgrounds, and we just sat there, and it was just like, whoa. In Ecclesiastes, we are given words of delight. So this is my question to you. Have you had moments, either listening or reading or hearing, when the words of God became delightful? Steve, can I talk about your dad's death? Okay. When Steve's dad was passing away, one of the things they did was they sat around his bed and they read scripture out loud to grandpa as he was dying. And I just, a plug for you, if someone you know is dying, read scripture out loud to them. Something happens because those words are delightful. There's something about the words. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us by quiet waters. He restores our souls. He guides us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for you're with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. You prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. You anoint our heads with oil, our cups overflow. Surely goodness and mercy are with us all the days of our lives, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Delightful words. Yes? But there's another set of words. Next verse. Verse 11. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. If you have your own Bible or NIV, look down in the footnote at 11. The shepherd is capitalized. The teacher searched to find just the right words, which he said was upright and true, the words of the rise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. I told you when Kirk died, the image I used in praying was, was shepherd. So let me take you back to the 23rd Psalm. He guides us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I told you that when the year that Lane and I did a series on the 23rd Psalm, the paths of righteousness for the shepherds in Israel were worn paths that the sheep used over centuries to transverse the Palestinian desert. And the good shepherd knew which of those paths guides in paths of righteousness. He knew which path would lead them to living still water and to green pastures. What did he use to get them there? A goad. A goad would be a long stick with a nail at the end. And sometimes the sheep would want to go over here. But he had to keep them on the path of righteousness. So he take his goad. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we hear words that offer correction. And that's the good shepherd saying, oh, 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 get back over here. Get on the right path. Oh, 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 oh. How many times in Ecclesiastes have we read these things like, like this? The death of a person is sweeter than the birth of a baby. 
That hurts. What are you talking about? I explained it all to you before. But oftentimes the words of the scripture are not just delightful, but they're intended to get us back on the right path. But I want you to notice the shepherd. It's capital S. It's a good shepherd. Well, there's one more word. Let's go to a couple of verses. Jim, can I have the slide? Hear words of guidance, verse 13. Now all has been heard, and here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of mankind. Think, this, is, this, is, this is guidance. All has been heard, all chapter 12, all the way through 12 chapters. Here's his conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments. So let me talk about that for a second. A friend of mine and I are having some conversation about fear. But that word fear in, in Ecclesiastes is often used to mean worship. Worship the Lord and keep his commandments. Hold him in awe and keep his commandments. What are his commandments? He said, when questioned, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbors yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. But notice where it starts. Fear God. So I told you this. When I was in college, I did not misuse, diminish, rape, or... uh, in any way diminish any woman ever. And I told you why. Because I feared my dad. I feared my dad. I reverenced, I honored, I blessed my dad. But I also know that when I was young and naughty, my dad would spank me because I needed it. So I reverenced, I feared my dad. And because I did, I loved Agapao, the women at Central College. If I didn't fear my dad, and I was just horny, I would just use whoever. You see where I'm going with this? Guidance comes when we hear the words of God. We fear him and we love people and we love God. Well, there's one more. Interesting that I'm losing my voice today. You'll find out why in a couple minutes. Hear words causing preparation. It's verse 14. He concludes like this, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Everything. So let's go back to judgment. So if you are in Christ, if you, have, if you have named him, claimed him as your Lord and Savior, if you're in a relationship with him, you have nothing to fear on judgment day. But look, look, look at the last sentence. Everything. So just imagine now, just to pretend. Imagine with me. Jesus is standing back against the wall. 
and just pretend with me that there are heavenly screens. And every single thing you and I have ever done will be on those screens. And we will see how we have lived, what we have said, and what we have done. But if you are in Christ, there's nothing to fear because your sins have been washed away. But you're still going to see how you lived. And so why? Why do we live in the way we're supposed to live? Because someday we will stand before Jesus, the King. And when he comes back the next time, he's not coming back like a baby. He's coming back like the king. And when the king comes up, shows up, I think we will all be on our faces because he is so glorious, so awesome, so loving, we have nothing to even comprehend this. But when he comes back, we say in the Apostles' Creed, I'm quoting, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. So verse 14 says, Fear, for God will bring to every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or bad. So let me give you now a conclusion from this little passage. Here it is, from the words of the teacher. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear to reverence, to worship, to honor, to acknowledge. To fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So I wonder if we could take just a couple minutes for conversation. Yeah, I have slide number 12, please, Jim. And if you're willing, could we just spend like, like three minutes have there been any ways in which the words of the teacher in Ecclesiastes have influenced how you lived these past three months? So has anything you've heard that you've read, you've talked about at a Sabbath meal, or something in a sermon, could you just share? Has something influenced how you live? On your marks, get set, go. Thank, thank you for conversation. It's just so fun to watch us become increasingly conversant on Sunday morning, so thank you. Uh, I'm going to conclude with prayer, and then we're going to have some, some, some more songs of praise. So I wonder if you'd pray with me, please. Lord, we thank you, and we praise you, and we honor you, and we bless you that you've been teaching us about dying well and living with even more joy and verve and hope and love. Mindful that the best days are ahead of us. And so we give you thanks. We thank you that we can live with the blessed assurance 
for who you are and what you've accomplished. So we ask for more, more of your spirit, more of your words, that your love might be filling us and being freely expressed through us. Hear our prayers. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.